For this series of uh, sermons, we are studying and meditating on the member affirmations of faith. Today is Article 3. The subject is Jesus Christ. So normally I would just read the scripture, but this morning we're going to ask all of us to do it in a uh, group as a congregation to read this together. So let's uh, read Article 3 of our membership affirmation of faith together. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in his virgin birth, sinless life, miracles, and teachings. We believe in his substitutionary atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and personal visible return to earth. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I don't even know where to begin. I'm praying that everyone here would feel the weight of the scripture as we read together today. And I pray, Lord, that this day would not be another day where we read about Jesus or about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it would be just words. But that those words would, by your Holy Spirit, come alive. That they would, in fact, give new birth this morning, Lord, to those who are not believing. That it would encourage those who are believing, but who are downcast. And so I pray, Lord God, please, I'm pleading with you for the sake of my brothers and sisters here and all who will hear this message, that the Lord Jesus would be glorified that people would be saved and would begin to praise him fully. Bring peace, Father, where it is needed. Bring healing where it's needed. By your Holy Spirit, guide us now, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'd like to begin with a quote from a book called Putting Jesus in His Place by Robert Bowman. There is no denying it. Jesus is one of a kind. He is the central figure of the world's largest religion, Christianity, and viewed as a major prophet in the world's second largest religion, Islam. Most people, in fact, regard Jesus as one of the greatest human beings who ever lived. But this remarkable consensus begs the question, why are there so many conflicting interpretations of Jesus? Your, quote, own personal Jesus interpretations of Jesus are fraught with bias. He's a powerful figure whom people want on their sides, and they're willing to recreate him, recreate him in their image to enlist his support. Animal rights activists imagine a vegetarian Jesus. New Agers make him an example of finding the God within and radical feminists strip him of divinity so that Christianity doesn't appear sexist. Uh, 
Frankly, it's hard to escape the feeling that our culture has taken Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, and changed it to, who do you want me to be? So it's a question for all of us, right? I'm humbled by my lack of heart at times. As I was preparing the sermon these last several weeks, I was humbled by the fact that how these very words have not moved me like they ought. I'm guilty many times approaching the scripture in a way that is not helpful. So the words I say this morning, I hope they're um, from my heart and they have the right amount of affection for Christ that's worthy of him and worthy of these words. The truth of Jesus has not moved me like it ought to at times, and I'm sure every one of you experienced the same thing. Well, I pray that today would help us to move beyond that. Well, would you open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6? I'll beginning, begin reading at verse 57. I'm reminded this week, too, my brother over here just spoke on that, and, and uh, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but um, I want to do that. It's a great passage. So listen to the words of our Lord. Will we stumble as these disciples Stumbled. I think the world and many of us stumble. So beginning in John chapter 6, verse 57, I'll be reading. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus, he said, and he said, This is what I told you. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus taught something about himself, something about his glory in that passage. And some turned away saying, this is difficult teaching. We can't handle this. We do know that the Lord draws the hearts of people to come and believe. We do know that's taught there. But nonetheless, there were some who did not believe. So as a way of introduction, before we get into some scriptures, we have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus, and all of us when we open our Bibles, we're in the Gospels, or wherever we are, we have to realize that Jesus is always and everywhere significant. There's not one area of existence in our lives, no matter how small you might think it, that he doesn't care, that he's not with you. So what will we and what does the world do with this Jesus? What do I mean by that? 
we, we're going to read a number of passages that will hopefully help us, hopefully convict us. This is a real person, Jesus Christ, the God-man. What will we do with him? What will we think? How will we obey him? What will it do to our hearts by the Holy Spirit? He is our Lord, and he is our God. These words are meant to have an effect. And I believe um, when Pastor Kevin did the memory verse this morning, it's very helpful. He is always worth this. He's always a side of us. And I believe by his spirit, this morning he will be with us. We're going to let the word correct us this morning. So again, what are we going to do with Jesus when we see him in the word? What will we think about? Will we just stumble and say, this teaching's too difficult. I can't allow that to impact me. Or... Will we stay on that passage? And it says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Will we allow texts like that to impact us, pleading with God when we feel it doesn't? When we feel the lukewarmness in our hearts, will we then, Lord, please help me? I'm not feeling what I ought to feel here. I pray that we would do this. The destiny and joy of the souls of people are at stake in these words. So my main point for today, behold the glory of Christ and believe in him and be saved. So behold what the scriptures teach, how they portray the Lord Jesus, believe in him and be saved. John chapter 6 verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. We must see clearly. When we read the word, we must slow down at times. I read too fast sometimes, and I don't, I don't take enough time to say, okay, what does that word mean? What are they saying here? We must see the Lord Jesus clearly. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. We must pray to see him clearly if we're to what? Worship him truly. We want to believe in, quote, the right God, as portrayed in the scriptures. I will attempt, and it's humbling, um, I'll attempt to show Jesus through a couple of perspectives. This is a common way to view or to try to study, and that's one, Jesus as a matchless person, as a matchless person. And the second would be Jesus in his very great works. Okay, so our church is called Glory of Christ for a reason. We believe it's the glory of Christ that when the Holy Spirit takes a truth and applies it to a person's heart, the person believes and is saved. We believe that it's through our family life, our mutual salvation, that we have sweet fellowship, as 1 John talks about. We have fellowship because we're born of the same spirit. So glory of Christ fellowship. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to be reading each one of those perspectives and I'll have some subcategories. And I'm just going to read the scriptures. You don't have to turn there. There'll be one I'll ask you to turn to. But I'm praying that the weight, the collective weight of these passages will land on everyone here. Okay, it's, I was thinking what Pastor Kevin said last week, how do you possibly do justice to the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, fortunately, we're creatures and we can only handle so much. I'm praying that God will 
meet each one where we need to be met this morning. So turn me with me um, to Colossians chapter 1, starting with Jesus as a matchless person. First category is Jesus as God. No one like Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things were created by him and through him. In him all things hold together. Behold your God, Jesus Christ. Now, I'll just go ahead and read some of the rest of these passages. Um, You don't have to turn there. Gospel of John, very familiar. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So in this person, Jesus Christ, as God, he had the very life in himself, the very um, power over life in him. In him was life, true life. All things came into being through him, through the agency of Jesus Christ. Who could do this but God alone? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Think back to those messages Pastor Charlie led us in. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, Hebrews chapter 1. Behold your God. From a slightly different angle, Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes are sitting there reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Indeed, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus as God, a matchless person. Of course, Jesus also was a man. Galatians 4.4 talks about his humanity. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Of course, we know the, the birth narratives. So we affirm the humanity, the full humanity of Jesus and the full deity of Jesus. It's a mystery, as Pastor Kevin was trying to teach us last week. The Trinity is a mystery. All we can do is try to describe what the Scriptures say and pray that, in some measure, it'll impact us. Jesus, as a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And then Acts chapter three twenty two, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet 
like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. The words of the living God. When Jesus spoke, he was speaking as God. And we know from our Proverbs series, we have to be very careful to our counselors and who our teachers are, don't we? So who are we listening to these days? Who are our coaches and our teachers? I want Jesus to be our teacher. He's a very great prophet, the very word of the living God. And Jesus as a priest, a very great intercessor. Again, he's a matchless person. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He's a high priest. He's interceding. Hebrews 7.25, he's, he's at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. A great intercessor with the Father at the Father's right hand. Let these words sink into your heart and your mind. Jesus, a matchless person. Jesus was a king. Luke one thirty two. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. We refer to him as King Jesus. He's a very great king. He's a very great prophet. He is God Almighty. And Jesus as sinless, Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. A matchless person, Jesus was sinless. 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That blood was spotless because Jesus was spotless and blameless. He was sinless. It's because of that spotless blood that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and that we should forgive freely, as Pastor Kevin taught us. When we think of the great guilt that we have, we needed spotless blood. We needed a sinless Savior, a sinless intercessor, a sinless prophet, a sinless king. That's what we have. It's a matchless person. Jesus as glorious. John 1.14, in the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we behold his glory. We saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. The one and only. The one and only. As the Father is, so is Jesus. And regarding the death of Lazarus. Remember the story in John chapter 11. When Jesus heard this, that Lazarus had died, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And we'll 
see another section of that passage in a minute when we get to Jesus' works, but we'll see why he's glorious. Hold that thought. Jesus as exalted. Acts 2.33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, For this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus everyone would bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is highly exalted. He's at the Father's right hand. Let these words, I'm covering these rather quickly, and you can be taking notes down or, or references for yourself. The collective weight together and our feeble minds will hopefully have its impact. Okay? Behold your God, Jesus, a matchless person. That's just, right, you know, that's just one small sliver of his person. As I finished this sermon and I was redoing my daily devotions, I said, oh, there's something else. There's something else that could get put in there. There's another, oh, I, I can't, I got to stop. You could go on, and that's the way it should be, right? You could go on and on and on and on with the matchless person of Jesus. I, that matchless word is great. Pastor Charlie says that all the time. The matchless and mighty name of Jesus is so true. He's matchless. There's no one like him. Despite what the world wants us to see, that he was you know, just a great prophet. We see he was a great prophet, but sinless and very God. Right? He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a great example that he is. He was Almighty God, is Almighty God, interceding as the sinless one at the Father's right hand for us. That's matchless, unlike no other person we could ever describe. Praise Jesus, praise God. The next section I'd like to talk about is the perspective is his very great works. So we have his person, who he is. The matchless person. Now, what has he done? What has he done to show his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ? What has he done? How has he shown himself? Well, one, he's shown his power in his resurrection. Luke chapter 24. And the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one, capital O-N-E, among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. Jesus said, I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to raise it up. This commandment I received from my Father. That's powerful. That is power. So when you pray, you're not praying to just a prophet. You are praying to one who has life in himself, who has the power over life and death. And he laid down his life, and he raised it up again. Now, there are other passages, of course, that talks about the Father raising the Son, the Holy Spirit raising the Son. But this is explicit. The Lord Jesus says, I have authority to take it up again. 
the power again now of raising Lazarus. So they removed the stone. This was after Lazarus was buried. They raised, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. This implies a tight, 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 super tight, super tight relationship with the Father. But because of the people standing around it, I said, so that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus came forth. He spoke very words and raised the dead. Jesus has very great power. His works, and we know he did everything. He calmed the seas. You could multiply these very great works. Behold your God, Jesus Christ. Jesus has also has power in knowing hearts. We often say, well, I, I can tell what you're thinking. I can tell what you're saying. I, I can tell by the look on your face what you mean by that. Okay, let's see what our Lord says here. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen. He truly knew. There wasn't some ambiguity of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sure by the look on their face that this is what they're getting at or this is what they think. No, he knew. He knew exactly the intents, the thoughts, the emotions. Whatever it was, he knew their thoughts. And I looked up some other passages the last couple of days. There's many where it says Jesus knew their thoughts. Power. He's God, very God. He has power to know the thoughts of all men. Another great work is his mercy and tenderness. I know this is a favorite passage of a sister here in church. I won't bring up her name to embarrass her, but um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, his mercy and tenderness now. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have this mercy and tenderness and compassion of this person, Jesus Christ, of this person who is God, who is a very great king, he's highly exalted, who is sinless, who is at the Father's right hand now, interceding for us. And he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Come to me. Come to me. And I will meet you in a tender way. I will work towards you. I will embrace you. And you will find rest for your souls. So maybe that's a passage today for some who are downcast. You don't know if the Lord is for you, come to Jesus this morning. Know him in his power and his, in his mercy and greatness. Feel that. Know him. I know you have felt that at times. Seek him now. Even in this moment, let that passage help you. And then finally, the final subcategory, of course, Jesus as Savior, the works of Savior. I counted 12 verses where the word Jesus and Savior are saved are in the same verse. Now, in three weeks, we're going to come back to this topic again when we discuss the doctrine of humanity and the doctrine of the cross, the gospel, uh, salvation. So I'll be touching more about, much more about that in a few weeks. But listen to these two verses that talk about Jesus as a Savior 
Matthew 121. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't that interesting? Right in the beginning part of the Gospels, depending on which one you, you look at, they get really quickly, real quickly, to the fact that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to do a mighty work to save. And why is it a mighty work? It's a mighty work because, in some sense, we think about the great debt that we are in. Pastor Kevin touched on that. We have this holy God who's separate from sinners, who has created people to worship him in a proper way, to have a proper view of him, in other words. That's what this message, if this is nothing else, this message is about seeing Jesus truly so we don't sin against the Father and so that we have fellowship with him. We think clearly, we see clearly, okay? So it's very important. And when we don't do that, He's tender, he's merciful with us who are believers, and he'll draw us in through maybe a word from a message or a kind word or a touch from a brother or sister. But what happens to those outside of Christ? The debt is so great. A holy God and a sinful creature who refuse to acknowledge God, what happens? We know the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Right? We know that. So, This is how great a Savior he is. What a great work. A great work. How do you breach that 200,000 years of salary? How is that ever breached by sinful human beings? What a great work. And we're going to get more to that in a few weeks. One of the passage, Romans chapter 5. For if while we were enemies, which we were, make no bones about it, reconciliation is needed because We're at an enmity with God. It's not just a matter of hard feelings and a light sense. Sinners are at an enmity with Almighty God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. Two passages, there's there so many ways, as you know, in the New Testament that aspects of the cross of Christ are described. Aspects of the work of Jesus. Aspects of the benefits we get and how we get them through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is just two passages. I also note that Jesus transforms, he sanctifies, he indwells, he preserves, he overcomes evil. These are mighty works. Worship the Lord. Find one of those things when it says, he, take heart, the Lord has overcome the evil one. If you feel under attack, take heart, for the Lord has overcome the evil one. The power of darkness flees when we meditate on truth and we don't believe lies. So behold your God, see him clearly, believe him truly, and be saved. So in closing, may we all be like Peter who said after hearing the hard teaching we read earlier, remember that teaching? There was some that said, this is too hard. We can't listen to this when Jesus said, I have life in myself. This was John chapter 6. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered, and I pray, this is, I pray as much as I can pray, 
that everyone in the depths of their souls now, everyone, young and old, can pray this. Simon Peter, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Will we, will we all say that this morning? Where will we go? Maybe you're in a difficult time right now where the Bible's not standing out for you. You're reading the word. Maybe you're bored. I was, I was listening to a podcast this week and there was a question to Pastor Piper about, I'm just bored with the Bible. What do I do? What do I do? I know that I need it. I know I need it to not believe lies and to believe truth, but what do I do? And one of the first things he says, he says, cry out to God. Incline my heart to your testimonies and to not getting gain. Incline my heart to your testimonies. So when you feel that lukewarmness or that lack of desire for the Lord, don't give up. Don't walk away and say, this is just too hard. It's too hard. I can't handle it. Now you say, Lord, I will perish. I will. And if Christians think you cannot go through difficult times, try neglecting the word for a period of time. Just try. I don't say try it. Please don't try it. Don't do that. But I'm saying, if you found yourself in a real dry period and you, you said, you know, I haven't read my Bible in two or three weeks. Bingo. That's probably why. There's not a, all, I often think about the Christian life as it's not a one-to-one. I read my Bible every day and I see all these great changes. But I believe the scripture is pretty clear. In fact, in our community group, we read and studied through Psalm chapter 1. And it talks about that we want to be those people that delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night. We want to be like people that are planted firmly by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Its leaf does not wither. Okay, if you find that's not the case, you say, Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. I'm not desiring your word like I should. I'm not seeing Jesus if I'm not in your word. It will be impossible to grow in holiness, to grow in joy and grow in happiness if you neglect the word of God. So let's be like Peter. Lord, where are we going to go? We can't go anywhere. You have the words of eternal life. And so that's the prayer for this morning that you would hear these words. Many additional things could be said, but I'll leave it where John ended his gospel. John chapter 21, he says, and there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail... I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that could be written. So I'm praying that the, the weight of this small selection of passages moves you, moves you to a new place in your walk with Jesus, maybe moves you to faith. Believe in Jesus. Behold your God, Jesus Christ. What will you do with him? What will you do with him? Let's pray. Lord, unless your Holy Spirit works in us. These words that were spoken won't amount to much, but we believe greater things because you are a merciful God. You are a, Lord Jesus, you are sinless. You are sinless, and so your death meant something. I pray, Lord, that as we think about you as a great prophet and a great king and highly exalted and glorious, and that a powerful God who raised Lazarus, who brought yourself back from the grave. I pray that we would believe and have eternal life. 
Don't let us leave this place unchanged by your word. I love my brothers and sisters here. Please, please, Father, please meet them, I pray in Jesus' name.